Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Drew Mendel of Illegal Curve Hockey because Declan Chisholm got claimed off waivers by the Minnesota Wild today, and Drew can't believe it. Also, Caitlin Laws, champion of Manitoba, going to the Scotty. She calls in to talk about her triumph on the podcast. But news today in the NHL from the Jets' perspective as they are they're down a player. The whole organization. Because defenseman Declan Chisholm was claimed off waivers by the Wild today. The 24-year-old blue liner went on waivers yesterday as the team needs to make room for Mark Scheifele to return, but they don't play until next Tuesday when they face the Pens. Chisholm played six games with the Moose this year. He was their MVP last year at 43 points in 59 games. Spent two games in the Jets lineup this year and many more nights in the press box. So what should we make of this move, losing a third player on waivers for nothing in just over a year? Jonathan Kovacevic went to the Habs in October of 2022. Jets Harkins to the Pens this past October. I'm joined by Drew Mendel, host of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, a show on which I appeared on Saturday. Uh, Sully was also with me and a star of the show. Drew, your thoughts on Chisholm's departure? Are you surprised to see him claim today? Uh, no, I'm not surprised to see him get claimed because what does it cost them the, the Minnesota Wild in this case? It costs them not, next to nothing to take a cheap flyer on a young player to see if they can strike gold, just like when Montreal claimed Johnny Kovacevic. What does it cost them? It costs them absolutely nothing. Uh, and as a result, I'm not surprised, and I don't know why the Jets necessarily thought they'd be able to sneak uh, Declan Chisholm through. I'm perplexed by the move uh, in its entirety. All right, so take me through your emotions then as, as over the last 24 hours seeing this move and, and why it has confounded you so much because it, for, it didn't seem like, A, this needed to even happen today because the Jets don't play for another week, but Chisholm was a player we thought might not be able to sneak through waivers, so I am I am equally, I think, confused as to what the Jets were doing here. Yeah, so my, my, my perplexed nature, besides being sort of a, a natural state for yours truly, begins with the fact that I'm done with Logan Stanley. I've seen enough of Logan Stanley to know what Logan Stanley's ceiling is. And it is not of a uh, NHL regular uh, on a good team. All due respect to Logan Stanley, of course. So, but you don't know what you have in Declan Chisholm. You haven't been able to see him in that opportunity. And so maybe the Jets, you know, a talent evaluation is, is, is correct. And Declan Chisholm doesn't have what it's going to take to become an NHL regular. But I'd at least like to see that and, and see him have that opportunity rather than continuing to use Logan Stanley in that role. I understand that you had the roster crunch and you had decisions that had to be made. But to me, you know, you know the ceiling, you know the floor of Logan Stanley. It doesn't excite me. You don't have that same level of knowledge with Declan Chisholm. And as a result, I would have stayed with him and tried to give him that opportunity if you had to put somebody on waivers. Is this something that we'll have to wait until after the trade deadline to truly know if it was a mistake, if the Jets can include Stanley in some kind of deal? Look, I mean, I, I don't really understand the narrative that there's this huge demand for Logan Stanley. Um, I, I think that's you know the, per, the the perception that might exist because you know really tall defenders don't grow on trees and I get that, but to me uh, you know I, I just I just don't see that next level of upside for him if 
that upside existed, I think we would have already seen it by this point in time. It's not like he's getting, you know, he's not a young defenseman anymore. He's been in the system and had his opportunity at the NHL levels for a number of years now. So I don't fully understand the, that idea that there's this huge demand for Logan Stanley. But look, if but trade deadline comes and goes and I'm wrong, that Logan Stanley is a key component of some deal that the Jets get a quality asset in return, I'll be the first one to eat crow and say, mea culpa, I'm wrong on this one. Because at the moment, there is the loss of Chisholm. There's Jonathan Kovacevic. That could have been Logan Stanley getting claimed off waivers. And maybe he goes and flourishes in Montreal too. We don't know. We'll never know. But right now, it looks like for, for people like you, and I just to a lesser degree like me, I, I, I think I've seen what we've seen from Logan Stanley and haven't been wowed either. But mm-hmm. for a lot of fans, they're like, really? The, the, why haven't we ever tried to put him on waivers? Because well, he hasn't really been great in the NHL. Well, if you're a draft and develop team, so you're, which I, the Jets are, every team is in the league, but forget it. The Jets are a draft and develop team. You've drafted Logan Stanley. You've developed Logan Stanley. You know his ceiling at this point in time. You drafted Johnny Kovacevic. You drafted Declan Chisholm. You developed both these guys throughout your system. And then when push comes to shove, you lose these guys for nothing. And I understand roster uh, you know, issues, and I understand all the, the decisions and that the Jets would have preferred not to lose Johnny Kovacevic or Declan Chisholm like they did today. But, you know, I, I just don't get why you don't at least hold on to one of them, see if one of them develops, rather than Logan Stanley, where you know what his ceiling is at this point in time. Because you look at the Jets' blue line, and, and Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon, who were brought in in the summer of 2021, they are in their 30s. Uh, Dillon is a UFA this summer. Schmidt still has another year at almost $6 million. Mm-hmm. At some point, you're going to need to backfill for these veterans and you know, Billy handle is still super young and he's yeah. still waivers exempt, but Chisholm, you know, 24 years old. We'll never All know right. now. And that's the thing. We might see him on the wild flourish. Maybe he doesn't and ends up going on waivers again. We don't know, uh-huh. but that I think for, for jets fans, if there is a frustration and you can disagree with me, it's that we don't know. And we would have liked to find out here, not in Minnesota. Look, everything is a risk reward proposition. The risk of losing Chisholm and Kovacevic is not worth the reward of keeping Logan Stanley in my estimation. That's sort of what, you know, you obviously you have a, you can only keep one of them or you can only keep, you know, uh, you know, in the different scenarios between Chisholm and, and Kovacevic, you could only keep one of those guys or Stanley, or you're going to risk losing somebody. I just would have rather, you know, maybe after the first time losing Kovacevic, I would have rather lost Stanley in this case. Uh, or if there's a trade to be made for him, make that trade, and then you don't have to lose anybody. That's, I mean, you know, right. I, I just don't fully understand the the, the continuing uh, Logan Stanley obsession. There's also Dominic Toninato and Axel Janssen Fialbi because it, I, it seems like this is a move to create space for Mark Scheifele to come off IR because now they have a roster space for that. Right. But they're going to have 14 forwards and seven yeah. defensemen. They could have put Toninato or AJF on waivers too. And I, I, I would have had time for that move more than this one, certainly. I mean, I don't know that either of those guys get claimed, but they, maybe they do. And they've been, they've, been, uh, they've been good players for the Jets in their roles that they've played this year. But again, the ceiling for those guys is really what? At best case scenario, fourth line, 
uh, fourth-line players for the Winnipeg Jets that I think truly, if the Jets consider themselves a, a contender, you're probably trying to replace them in that role. So they're not, in fact, NHL regulars. That, you know, that, that would be, you know, so I would have had time for one of those guys being on waivers, and if the Jets had potentially lost one of them, then I don't think that there's necessarily the same level of consternation because they're not in the draft and develop model that the Jets have really employed or have talked about uh, since their inception in, in 2.0 history back here in Winnipeg. Uh, again, you can't, I just, you can't keep losing young defensemen for nothing uh, without at some point in time uh, you know, having a dearth of young defensemen in your system. Right. So that's the, that's just the timing of it is that this is all Jets fans will have to chew on for the next like four or five days because they're off until the all-star break after losing three games in a row. Do you feel drew like they just needed a break after what we saw the last couple of weeks where they're barely scoring and guys are hurt? Yeah, I think the break is coming at a great time for them. And I'm not one of the people who are worried about the, you know, how they're going to respond post-break or anything. I think this is still a very good hockey team. I think this is a, you know, closer to the hockey team that had the tremendous winning streak or the tremendous point streak than it is to the team that lost their last three games. You take number one center out of your lineup, uh, you don't really have a, a quality backfill to try and play that role. It's going to end up you know, resulting in some issues on the ice. Healthy Mark Scheifele returns, you know, next Tuesday in Pittsburgh. I think the Jets are going to be fine moving forward at that point. So what are your biggest, I guess, concerns, if there are any, uh, between now and the March 8th trade deadline? Uh, second line center. It has to be their, your top priority for the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, you can see that they just don't have the requisite depth up the middle right now to really, I think, contend uh, on a long term. It's short, if you fill that position and you do it with a defensively responsible player, as I'm sure the Jets are, are prioritizing, uh, you know, you can, that'll add to your scoring, that'll increase your scoring issues. Uh, you know, I would start there, like most people, if you can upgrade second pairing right side D, great, maybe move Neil Pionk down a little bit. Um, and maybe that's an internal promotion with Billy Hainala, and, and time will tell on that front, of course. But that would be, you know, the, you know, my analysis isn't much different than most everyone's when it looks at the Jets and, and, and where your areas of concern would be. So if you ha- have a wish list, who would be on it? Uh, you know, I'm not in the Elias, uh, in the Elias Lindholm camp. I, I think the price for him is going to be too much. I don't think it's going to be a name that we've heard talked about because, you know, when the Jets went out and acquired Paul Stasny, that sort of came out of nowhere. Kevin Shevoldayoff is pretty good at making sort of some stealth under the radar moves and acquiring a player that isn't necessarily being, uh, being discussed right now. I, I wouldn't pay a huge price for a lot of the guys who, who, who have been talked about. I wouldn't pay a huge price for a Sean Monahan. I'm not paying a first round pick for him. I'm not paying a first round pick for Elias Lindholm. I'm not paying a first round pick for Adam Henrique. So those guys, I think, are going to be too costly, and I don't think the Jets should necessarily go that way unless they can get them uh, for a, a, a far less expensive price, maybe that extra second-round pick that they got in the, du- in the Dubois trade. Uh, that's something I would consider. But right now, the prices that are being talked about for those guys, I think, are too, too rich, but I also don't think that the Jets are necessarily uh, narrowing in on one of those players. It could be somebody you're, that you, you don't expect would be, my, uh, would, would be where I would not be surprised if that happens. That trade with the Blues, though, there was a first-round pick in that trade, was there not? 
It was, but you got a guy like Paul Stasny. I mean, Paul Stasny at that time, uh, you know, I think was uh, he, look. Paul Stasny works out like like manna from heaven for this for the Winnipeg Jets team back that year, and how he shored up that position and how he worked so well uh, with Ehlers and with Liney in that playoff run. Um, look, I have no problem trading the first round pick if it's the right player. I don't know that any of the names we've heard so far are those right players. I think the price would be too heavy for a lot of the guys uh, whose names are sort of at the forefront on the trade bait boards and, and things of that nature. Gotcha. All right. I'll get you out of here on this, uh, covering this team, watching this team for as long as you have. Where does this team rank in terms of how much fun you have watching them? You know, uh, I, I would say pretty high, I, you know, because the effort has been there uh, night in and night out uh, for the most part. And the, the, the eggs that they've laid this year have been few and far between. And that's really what everybody wants, or you know, the, uh, certainly the fan base wants. They want to see the effort. They want to see uh, an approach and a strategy that you can say, this is how they want to look on a night-in, night-out basis and how they're going to be successful. And I think we've largely seen that this year. So, you know, look, the Jets, they were obviously a playoff team last year. But the vibe around this team is so much more uh, positive than it was last year, certainly in the second half of the year. I would say right now this team, when they were at full strength and when they were clicking on, on, on all cylinders, were pretty fun to watch. Drew, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this, and uh, we'll uh, be sure to have you on again sometime soon. My pleasure, Christian. Anytime. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for the invite. Drew Mendel, Legal Curve Hockey Show host. We got her. Okay. Caitlin Laws, are you here? I am. Hi. Well, welcome to the Hello. show. Congratulations <laughs> on uh, on winning Team Manitoba. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So uh, the idea of a tournament where you know you're going to make the Scotties, even if you don't win it, most likely, how does that change how you go into a tournament? Or does it affect you at all? Um, honestly, we weren't really thinking about that. We really just wanted to focus on being present, playing the provincial championship with the goal of wanting to win the provincial championship and then see how it all plays out at the end of it. So it wasn't really on our radar, to be honest. Okay, so you just it's another tournament. Let's go win it. Yes, that's exactly how we felt going into it. Okay. And, and through the course of the tournament, you won most of your games going to, to the final. How are you feeling about the way your team was playing through the weekend? The, the girls played fantastic all week it was so much fun to be able to play on such great ice and to play in morden in front of our friends and family and the manitoba crowd uh it was just a great environment so we were feeling confident and we were really excited to be able to play in that final game you've played in a lot of events over the years you've played in a lot of manitoba provincials over the years does it feel special every year to play in in kind of small town atmospheres with so much on the line it sure does. There's nothing better than to be able to play at home in your home province and to visit so many great communities in our across the province. And Morden put on such a great show, and I feel like they it was one of the best events I've played in in a long time. So it felt very special to be able to, to compete at such a high level so close to home. So the final against Beth Peterson yesterday, you get out to a, uh, an early lead. She comes back to tie it. It's tied going to nine. How much tension is there for you, and how much does you, all your experience playing in the Scotties, winning this, the national championship before, how much does that help you in such a close game like that? It was 
honestly such a fun final. Beth and her team played so great. Uh, we did get an early lead, but they were throwing everything at us, making run back after run back and really putting the pressure on. So we really had to stay tough and just hang in there. And they they played so great. Yeah, it was tied up going into that ninth end. And we hoped that we could either blank that end or score two going to be up going into that last end. And we made some great team shots and were able to hang on. <laughs> at what point during an end like that do you make the decision, all right, we're going to go for two now. The blank is out the window. Uh, you can kind of just get a sense for how things are playing out. And so within probably by a second rocks, we are kind of in it and there was lots of rocks in place. So figured we'd kind of switch, switch our mode and just try and go for it. And so you get the deuce, you go to 10. And at that point, it's just all, all out for the force, right? You're not, you're not thinking about stealing. It's just don't give them two. <laughs> well, it was mainly try not to give up three. So we don't outright lose. And I feel like with the five rock rule and the no tick uh, rule, if the rocks are on the center line, then if there's a, you know one really good made shot, then the other team you're playing against deserves to get there too. So we just tried to hang on, and uh, unfortunately uh, for the Peterson team, their last rock went just a little bit deep, and uh, that gave us the win. But it was such a well-played game by both sides, and it could have gone either way. And it, And for that final shot, you're just – trying to make it as hard as possible for her, right? Exactly, yeah. We were trying to put our, my last one as like a really tight guard, so she had to take a different path and just kind of have a little bit more of a guess of what the speed was going to be out wider. And uh, fortunately for us, I think we got it in a good enough spot to do that. So was there any celebration afterward, or is it just, okay, <laughs> we're going to go to a junior curling clinic tomorrow and just do what we do and, and, and help teach kids how to curl? Yeah, so we've been asked if we partied and celebrated our win, but we packed up at the house that we were staying at in Morden. We drove back to Winnipeg, went to sleep, and then, yeah, today we drove out to Verdon. Uh, it's a three-hour drive each way, and we just taught to two junior clinics and just, you know, I don't know. It's different now with little ones at home. The, the party is <laughs> not quite the same. But it still feels just as good. <laughs> well, and the fact that it's a 2 p.m. start in Morden helps you get back in plenty of time, right? Yeah, it was great. The time was awesome. And I still feel like we were able to celebrate with our fan- friends and family and all the fans that were there in Morden afterwards and then got to go home. And so now you've got just over two weeks before you got to go to Calgary just to, for the, the big deal, Scotties. What happens between now and then to get ready? Uh, tomorrow will be full just rest and recovery, spend time with family, and then we'll get back to the drawing board, uh, plan out our next couple of weeks with meetings and what our training schedule is going to look like, and we'll be back on the ice right away to try and figure out how we can win this thing. <laughs> Four Manitoba teams are going to be part of this with, with you and Jennifer Jones, Carrie Anderson, and Kate Cameron getting in as well. What kind of pride is there as a Manitoba team to know that there's so much from this province at this tournament? It's incredible for a Manitoba curling fan to be able to have four teams to cheer for. It just shows the depth in our province. And even just at the provincial championship, there is so many great young teams that it's uh, the future is so bright. So I'm, I'm thrilled that there's four teams from Manitoba at the Scotties. And you're in the pool with, with Carrie Anderson and, and, a number of other teams, of course. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
you you were you were wild card last year, but you're not wild card or there's no wild card teams this year, right? There there's Manitoba Laws, there's Manitoba Jones, there's Manitoba Cameron. Is that gonna get confusing? Um I don't know. Like for us, I mean we, we see these teams all the time, so you kinda just know them as their team name. Sure. So it might just be look a little different because they're not in their regular uniforms. They'll be in some sort of variation of a Manitoba uniform. But uh, no, it's good. I think. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize they weren't called wild card teams. So you taught me something. Okay, new. <laughs> I broke the news to Caitlin Lost today. Cool. Uh, this is just based on the, the curling Canada release that I read today. It just says uh, okay. uh, Manitoba Laws and Manitoba Josh Jones, and there's you know Ontario Home and Ontario Inglis. There's BC Brown. There's uh, BC Grandy. So there's. Different variations, well, but for for you last year as wild card, call it whatever. You are the Manitoba champion this year. How different is it for you going as champ compared to as a wild card team? Um, well, last year was a little bit of a crazy year for us with lots of different lineup changes. Uh, three of us having babies. We were just trying to. I wouldn't. I don't want to say just survive, but we just didn't really know what to expect with all the different rotating lineups. And it was our first year together as a team. So for us to have this second chance year two to fully have our lineup together now going in as provincial champions, it just gives us a lot of confidence and it's really exciting to have had this great competition leading into the Scotties. I feel like it's a really good prep for us. And last year, your first year as Skip at the Scotties, how much do you think that experience, and it was a wild year as you explained, how much does that help you prepare for the second try around a skip? Uh, it definitely helps. I, it was a big learning curve for me to get back into the skipping role, just trying to figure out what makes this team tick and what our strategy is and what gives me confidence to be able to throw that last rock. And so it's been nice to have a few more games under our belt and a few more hours of sleep <laughs> now that I don't have a newborn anymore. So, oh, it's good. I think experience is something that you can really lean into, and our team has a lot of that. And the consistency in the lineup now that all the babies have been born, uh, how much does that help your team in their consistency? It's great to be able to figure out what support we need from each other we are really communicating well, and we have a ton of fun on and off the ice. So our dynamic is just right where we want it to be, and it's uh, just really good team vibe. <laughs> and do you have good memories of playing in Calgary? Uh, yeah, I've played a lot of different tournaments in Calgary, and we've played in the bubble there a few years ago, and some Continental Cups. I'm trying to think what else we played there, but... I used to go play in the Autumn Gold Curling Bond Steel every year. So Calgary kind of feels like a home away from home. And I have a, no doubt that the fans will be cheering for lots of great shots. Do you road trip there when you're ready to go? A road trip? Uh, I haven't driven out there in a while, but uh, we used to do that lots when we were kids. <laughs> is it no? I mean, is the team driving there together or do you fly out? I'm just trying to figure oh, out no. how, how yeah. that works. We'll, we'll, We'll be flying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. That you never you never know with the prairie weather these <laughs> in the middle of winter. So, yeah. Fair yeah, enough. We'll that is definitely the safe call. Well, Caitlin, I appreciate you taking time to to join me today. Congrats again on representing Manitoba at the Scotties coming up in a couple weeks. Thank you so much. Thanks that, again for having me. That is Caitlin Law, skip of Team Manitoba, one of four teams from Manitoba that will be at the Scotties in Calgary. It gets underway February sixteenth. 
Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. Come on and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all, but